Welcome back to Brailcast Extra. Coming up this time, what is a BRF file and why would you want one? A session recorded on Tuesday the 4th of May 2021, presented by me and introduced by Dave Williams. Good evening and a very warm welcome back to the Brailist Foundation and our regular Tuesday evening masterclass. This evening, Matthew Horsbill will be introducing us to the subject of BRF. Why would you want a BRF? How would you create a BRF? What might you do with a BRF? Uh, Matthew will be guiding us through all of that shortly and taking your questions, of course, as well. As always, on moderation duties this evening is uh, Ben. Good evening to you, sir. Hello, hello, hello. Going to be an interesting one this evening, I think, actually. Uh, yes, indeed. Um, bit technical, possibly. Matthew will let us know shortly, but I think lots of practical application yeah. as well. I, 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 we were talking about this earlier, actually, and I was saying it's one of those things where you, you maybe don't think you need it, but when you actually discover what BRF files are, are used for and how versatile they are, I would say that then they, they do actually come in quite useful. But I guess oh, that's a bit of a spoiler. I guess all will be uh, revealed uh, shortly. So we'll get to how to raise hands and all that good stuff when we uh, get round to uh, questions. Quite a lot of content to get through tonight. Before we jump into that, a reminder of some of the other things that are happening around the Brailleists. Don't forget, of course, you can keep up to date with all our news through the Brailleist newsletter. So any last minute changes or if you'd like a heads up, on what topics we're going to be covering in future weeks. Uh, for example, uh, in two weeks' time, we're hoping to be bringing to you a session uh, about Braille on Android, a subject we get asked about quite a lot. So if you'd like to know what's coming up, do uh, sign up for our newsletter if you're not already. You can do that from the braillists.org website. A reminder about our Thursday night Braille book club that starts at the slightly earlier time of 6 p.m., we have rooms for different reading abilities, beginner, intermediate, and more experienced Braille readers. Uh, you're very welcome to join the book club. And next week on Tuesday at 7.30, we'll be reopening our Braille bar, which is an open uh, opportunity for you to ask any Braille-related questions, whether that's about code, kit, teaching, or something that we haven't thought of. So anything Braille related, we usually have a little panel that we put together who will be very happy to take your Braille related questions. And that's next Tuesday at 7.30. Don't forget, of course, uh, these sessions are run in line with the Braillist Foundation moderation policy. Uh, so we do try to keep one person at a time speaking so that everybody's not talking over each other. Makes it a lot easier to hear, especially for people dialing in on the telephone. When we get to questions, you'll be invited to raise your hand and then Ben will acknowledge the hands and you'll be able to put your question to Matthew. So without any further ado, um, I'm going to introduce a good friend and uh, treasurer of the uh, Braillist Foundation, um, somebody with uh, considerable experience in the subject of Braille transcription, uh, also chairs the Braille General Group at uh, UCAF and uh, commentated on last year's International Council on English Braille's General Assembly uh, when that was hosted virtually uh, from the UK, Mr Matthew Horsfall. Good evening to you. 
good evening, Dave. You make me sound terribly professional. I'm not really used to it. Um, I'm still used to sort of, you know, thinking I'm just this person that does a bit of Braille here and there. Um, but it's wonderful to be back with everybody. I've, pre I've presented a couple of masterclasses for the Braillists, and a lot of you will know me from other Braillists calls and the Braillecast podcast and uh, the help address and uh, one or two other things like that. So... In this session, we're going to talk about BRF files. Uh, hopefully, that's what you're expecting. If you're not expecting BRF files, then hang around anyway, because you might find the session interesting. And if you are expecting BRF files, hopefully, you'll also find the session interesting. Um, <clears throat> just to give you a quick summary, there's going to be uh, probably quite a lot of talking today. I'm really sorry about that. Uh, but it's one of those things where you think, oh, it's just a BRF file. What could you possibly say? And then you write down the list of what you're going to say, and the list just gets longer and longer and longer. So I'm going to try and keep it as snappy as I can. If there's time to run a couple of demos, I'll run a couple of demos. But I am just going to try and get through the information and give time for questions and uh, maybe there'll be the potential to run some of the demos if we don't get to them on the session tonight, uh, run some of those demos and publish them on the Brailcast podcast uh, in due course. That would be a useful thing to do, I think. So we're going to talk about what a BRF file is. We're going to talk about why we need them and some typical uses of BRF files. Characteristics of BRF files, which sounds awfully technical, but it's essentially, you know, what are they? Um, you know, what, what, how are they made up underneath the hood? Some of the limitations of BRF files, how to obtain BRF files and how to make your own, how to create them from scratch, reading BRF files, navigating BRF files, embossing BRF files, and finally, a short section about Duxbury and BRF files, because Duxbury has some very interesting BRF logic. So I'm just going to talk for about 25 minutes, half an hour, and see how far I get. And then uh, we'll evaluate how much further we can go and, uh, and maybe take some questions. So what is a BRF file? Well, BRF, uh, we, I noticed we've got James on the call and he may wish to come in a bit later on uh, to sort of correct me on this. I don't actually know where BRF came from. Uh, we now know it as Braille Ready File and uh, there is a handout for this session and I've put Braille Ready File uh, in the handout because it's the best definition that I've got. Sometimes people call it formatted Braille, but where the Braille Ready File came first and then they shortened it to BRF or BRF came first and then somebody shortened it to Braille Ready File. Um, I don't know. It's a text-based format. It's been around for a lot of years, uh, probably since about the 1980s or 1990s at least. And what it allows us to do is to store and retrieve combinations of Braille dots in the same way as a plain text file allows us to store and retrieve combinations of print letters and numbers. So what we're essentially saying is it's Braille first. This is not a file like a Microsoft Word file that has everything in print and then, you know, you have to translate it. This file has Braille first. Um, there's no official standard for BRF. Everybody thinks, yeah, it, conf it conforms to the BRF standard. Actually, there isn't one. You can, you can make any sort of file and call it a BRF file if you want. However, because it's been used by transcription companies literally all over the world, you know, RNIB used them, APH, National Braille Press, uh, Vision Australia, 
uh, RNZFB out in New Zealand. Everybody uses them and they have been exchanged all around the world and, and Marrakesh will make that a lot easier. And over time, some conventions have emerged and most people do conform to those conventions. So although there's no standard as such, there is a de facto standard and it's a good idea to follow it because otherwise uh, Braille hardware may not play nicely with them. There are other formats that are similar to BRF that we won't cover, but I do just want to bring them up very briefly so you know what they are. There's a format called BRL. Um, BRL and BRF, I have to say, I don't know what the difference is. I think this is, <laughs> this is where we have, you know, there's no standard and it really kind of comes into its own. Uh, when I first started transcribing Braille, I used a program called Cypher and Cypher saved what it called BRL files. And when I renamed that those BRF file, BRL files to BRF, they worked exactly the same as a BRF file would work. So as far as I'm concerned, there's no difference. I think there are some differences some of the time in that uh, BRL doesn't contain as much formatting information sometimes as BRF does. Um, but really, it's just a file extension that somebody decided to use one day because they didn't like uh, BRF, as far as I can tell. And then we have the portable embosser format or PEF. This is a standard that I really wish had taken off. The thing about PEF is that it contains a lot more information in a much more structured way than a BRF file does. So it contains metadata about, for example, whether the book is in multiple volumes, which volume you're in, what size page is this book uh, for, all this sort of thing. It also uses Unicode Braille patterns instead of ASCII Braille patterns, and we'll get on to more of those technicalities a bit later on. Unfortunately, what that means is that PEF files are very large and uh, quite unruly, and um, they seem to have fallen into disuse. I'm not sure that the standard was ever widely adopted, but it, it really has sort of become a bit redundant now. So I've said that a BRF file is Braille first. Why do we need it? We don't have a French first file format. We just write in Word. We don't have a, an Arabic file, you know, file format. We, we, just, we just write in Word. Why, why do we need to worry about it? The reason is because in uh, Braille, there is not a straightforward one-to-one -one mapping of characters. So what I mean by that is, for example, in print, a number one is always a single character and it's always the number one. It looks like a number one. In Braille, you would argue that the number one is uh, two characters. It's the number sign followed by the letter A. However, it's not strictly true that the number one is always a number sign followed by the letter A. What happens, for example, if we're brailing the number 11? We don't braille number sign A, number sign A. We just braille number sign A, A. The same thing happens in reverse. The, the, the word the in print is three characters. It's T, H, and E. In Braille, it's only one character. It's the T-H-E contraction, dots, two, three, four, six. But it's not as straightforward as saying, well, this is the T-H-E contraction. Whenever you see T-H-E, you must render these four dots. Because what about words like northeast, where you have to use the T-H contraction followed by the E-A contraction to show that the first half of the word is north 
and the second half of the word is east. There are braille fonts for computers. They do exist and they do work well, but fonts are not intelligent. Fonts just display what they're told to display, and there is no way in which you can codify all of the braille rules into a font. This is not the same as in French. Um, if you're writing in French, for example, and you have an e acute, it's always an e acute. There is not, there's no ever, there's, there's no content in which you go, you know what, an e acute isn't written like this. The e acute is always written like an e acute, so a font can do its job. What we also need, in addition to um, talking about, you know, translating print into Braille, uh, is we also need a foolproof way of writing Braille itself. So, for example, if you're a Braille teacher and you want your student wants to write Braille electronically, you know, on a Braille note taker or a Braille display or or on a computer, the Braille teacher needs a foolproof way of looking at the contractions that the student has used so that the teacher can then say, OK, you didn't use the THE contraction here, but you could have done or you didn't use the WH contraction here, but you could have done. And we need a way of being able to codify that information. Similarly, if you're taking notes, you might miss out a contraction or add an extra contraction in uh, if you want to show pronunciation. Or if you're writing Braille music, you need to be assured that when you write out like a TH sign, which is a, a, a crotchet C, that it will be written out without the computer trying to translate that into a TH sign. We need a Braille first format. And this is where BRF comes in. So within that, there are two uh, uses for it. We've, we've stored the Braille. The two uses for a Braille file beyond storing Braille are quite simply to emboss it out in hard copy or to read it uh, on an electronic Braille display. So let's talk about how a BRF file is constructed. At its core, it's a plain text file. It's the same sort of file that you would create in an application like Notepad on a computer. It's not the same sort of thing as a Microsoft Word document. This is kind of the difference between BRF and PEF. PEF would have been kind of like a Microsoft Word document because you can put bold and italics and you can put styles in and things like that. A BRF file is not. It's very straightforward. It's the sort of file that you would load into Notepad. And the way this works, <clears throat> excuse me, is that there are 64 unique combinations. There are the, the 63 dot patterns plus the space. And each of these dot patterns have been assigned a uh, key on the keyboard or a character, if you like. The way these assignments were drawn up is not random, although it might seem random until you get used to how they work. Um, Again, I'm not quite sure what came first. I'm not sure whether BRF files came first or the US Computer Braille code uh, came first. But there is this thing called the US Computer Braille code, and it has uh, the symbol assignments that are most commonly used in BRF files. Um, the other use for the US Computer Braille code, apart from to write BRF files very quickly, is if you need, if you're, for example, programming and you need that one-to-one -one character mapping, uh, to make sure that code lines up or something, then you can use the US computer braille code for that, or indeed the UK computer braille code. And 
much more talk about that is beyond the scope of this session. But you just need to know that BRF files predominantly are based on the US computer braille code. So the letters A to Z look like the letters A to Z. There's, there's nothing surprising about that. If I wanted to write the, the word hello in a BRF file, I would literally write the word H-E-L-L-O. No problems there. However, the lower signs, how do we write the lower signs? Well, what we do, and by the lower signs, I mean dot, dot two, uh, a lower B, middle C, uh, lower D, lower E, lower F, you know, all those sorts of things, lower G, lower I, lower J. To write those, we use the numbers. So, for example, if I wanted to write a full stop, I would write the number four. So if I wanted to write hello full stop, I would write H-E-L-L-O four. If I wanted to write hello exclamation mark, I would write H-E-L-L-O six. And if I wanted to write hello question mark, I would write H-E-L-L-O eight. In practice, you don't need to worry about this too much because you'll be either translating a BRF file using Duxbury uh, or some other Braille translation program, or you'll be writing in six key entry on something like an Orbit Reader. Uh, and actually, you won't need to worry about it because the Orbit Reader will put in the right symbols at the right time. But just so you have some idea of how we constructed all of this. Similarly, there are random combinations of dots, like, for example, the dot six capital. Well, the dot six capital, because we can write a comma as a number one, we don't need the comma to be dot two, so we can use the comma as dot six. So if I wanted to write a capital, hello, full stop, I'd write comma, H-E-L-L-O, four. And that's how we do it. There's, there's basically a symbol for every uh, character in Braille. If you want the of sign, you do a left parenthesis. If you want a with sign, you do a right parenthesis. If you want an and sign, you use the ampersand. And, and so it goes on. There is a handout available. Uh, it's not available at the moment, but it will be made available when the recording is made available. And for people who are interested, there is actually a whole list of all of the 64 Braille characters and what symbol you would use for each one if you want to write BRF by hand. But as I say, you probably don't need to in most cases. BRF files that originate in countries where English is not the native language, and I won't uh, concentrate too much on this, but it, it's not strictly necessary to use the US computer braille code. Most BRF files do. If we were writing French in in an English context. So if we were an English transcriber writing a French textbook, we would still use the US computer braille code. And for the E acute, we would just use the symbol for the for sign. If you're in France, they might use the French computer braille code. There's nothing wrong with that. You just need to tell your braille device that your braille file was written in French computer braille code instead of English computer braille code. Um, honestly, uh, don't worry about it. Assume that it's written in US unless it doesn't render properly. The other important characteristic to note about a BRF file is its layout. The layout is very strict. There's usually a reason why a BRF file was created. It was either created for reading on a braille display or it was created for embossing. It was rarely created for both. If, an emboss if a, a BRF file was created for embossing, it might, for example, have page numbers. It might have running headers. Um, it might have uh, contents pages, all of this sort of thing. 
and these have to be mapped out very, very precisely. If, for example, your file is 40 characters, if your, your page is 40 characters line, um, excuse me, if your page is 40 characters long and you want a page number to be in the last two cells of the line, the only way to achieve this, because it's only a plain text format, is literally to do 38 spaces and then the, the number sign and then the letter I if it's page nine or what have you. Similarly, if you want to center something on that line, if you want to center 12 colons on that line, you'd have to do 14 spaces and then the 12 colons, which would be 333333333333, or indeed in UEB, quote 33333333333 for the dot uh, five that you would need in front of those colons. This means that the layouts need to match for best results. If you have a BRF file that was written for um, a Perkins page, so it's 40 characters to the line, and you want to emboss that BRF file on an A4 page, good luck to you. It's very difficult to do it because what will happen is because it was encoded for a 40 character line and your A4 page only has, say, 32 characters on that line, you'll get that the embosser will try and break the line at the appropriate pay, a point. But what you'll get is a line of 32 cells. And then on the next line, the remaining eight cells that have overspilled, it will not play nice with pagination. You'll probably only get page numbers every uh, two pages or what have you, because it's introducing an extra line all the time. And uh, yeah, it will, will generally do quite nasty things. The answer to this problem buy some Perkins paper if you've got a file that needs Perkins paper. If you're in reverse, if you've got an A4 file and all you've got access to is Perkins paper, that's fine. You'll just get a really, really wide right margin. The same sorts of things happen on Braille displays unless you've got certain settings turned on. And this is why peculiarities happen on the Orbit Reader when, for example, sometimes you get um, uh, a hyphen has been put at the end of a Braille line to for, for word division and then you find that the orbit has <clears throat> just sort of carried on, but it's put a space after the hyphen, and you wonder why there's a random space after the hyphen when there shouldn't be. What's happened is that the orbit reader has intelligently worked out that you don't actually want to go on to the next line, so it's just added a space and carried on. But if that setting is turned off, what you would find on the orbit reader is you'd have probably two short lines, sorry, two long lines followed by one short line or something like that. On a Braille note, if you're reading a 38 cell to the line BRF file on a 32 cell Braille note, you'll quite often end up in a situation where you've got a full line and then probably about a fifth or a sixth of a line because the Braille notes had to take a new line and then eight cells later, the BRF file has also taken a new line. So it's important to bear that in mind. That said, this is just uh, stuff that you get used to. If you read BRF files on electronic Braille displays on a regular basis, you get used to this and it sort of stops bothering you. But that's why it happens. The other really important thing is that um, it's hard to change Braille codes. So let's take a step backwards. If your native language is English, but you've been sent a Microsoft Word document in French, 
the document will always be in French. If you want that document to be in English, you've got to use something like Google Translate. Other translations are available. You've got to use a tool like that. You can't just go into Microsoft Word and change your settings and, and there you go, the document's in English now. And it's the same. Because BRF is a Braille-first format, it's only storing the contractions that the transcriber wants it to store. So if you have a BRF file, and that BRF file is uh, in UEB grade 2, and you would like to read that in UEB grade 1, you're out of luck. You cannot go into your settings and change the settings to grade 1, and by magic, the BRF file will update. The BRF file stores the Braille information in grade two. If you want to read it in grade one, and this is why we have problems with the SD card on the Orbit Reader, because not all books are in grade one. If you want to read in grade one, you need a separate BRF file. If you're feeling adventurous, you can create one. You can use some translation software. You can back translate the grade two file and then forward translate it in grade one. Uh, you're welcome to try. Your, your mileage will vary. Some BRF files, that works amazingly well. Others, especially if they've got tables in or they've got contents pages or page numbers, be prepared for a lot of that formatting to get lost and the, the pagination to kind of just go all over the place. Uh, it is possible to do it. And if you spend enough time editing the file, then you'll get decent um, results out of it. So that has been a, a very brief overview of what BRF files are and what they're not and what you can do with them. I will stop for questions in just a moment. Um, before I do that, I want to talk about where you get BRF files from. Um, the easiest answer to that question is from your library, from your specialist blindness library. So for example, um, RNIB Reading Services has a collection of BRF files, or indeed BRF files are on the card that you get with your Orbit Reader. BARD in the States, Braille and Audio Reading Downloads from the National Library Service also has BRF files. The Centre for Equitable Library Access in Canada, that is Seller, I believe that has BRF files. And Bookshare.org, which is predominantly in the US, but it does have an international flavour, um, it also has BRF files. And as I've already mentioned, you can create your own BRF files if you want to. To do that, you'd need a Braille translation programme like Duxbury or Braille 2000, or Braille Blaster, or indeed the free uh, tool Send to Braille, which doesn't make particularly nice looking BRF files, but it does make BRF files. We covered Send to Braille in our Markdown uh, episode, which is on our media page on taking notes for others. Um, if there's time, I'll run a quick demo of the Send to Braille tool because it's quite a useful tool for creating quick and dirty BRF files from, say, Microsoft Word or PDF or uh, TXT or what have you. Um, but, you know, you can you can do this fairly easily. So in a second, I'm going to talk about how to read a BRF file. I'm going to talk about how to navigate them and how to emboss them. Um, I'm actually going to stop to get a drink of water. And while I do that, uh, if people want to ask any questions 
we'll probably take questions for about 15 minutes or so. If people want to ask questions, they're more than welcome to do so. Thank you for that, Matthew. A great, uh, thorough introduction there. I know I've definitely learned, well, often we say we've learned a thing or two, but I've learned way more than two things. So uh, great work there. So as Matthew said, we'll take part, uh, we'll take questions for a few minutes. And if you'd like to ask a question, there are a couple of ways you can do so, uh, depending on what device you're using. Uh, but they all uh, involve raising your hand. So if you're on Windows, you can press Alt-Y to raise your hand. If you're on a Mac, you can press Option-Y. If you're dialing in on on a telephone, you can press star nine. Or if you're on an iDevice, such as an iPhone, iPad, or iPod Touch, you can press the more button, which is in the uh, bottom right of your screen. And I believe that's visually uh, represented by three dots. And then once you've pressed that, you'll find a raise hand button. And we try and give people a little bit of warning before we uh, go to them. Uh, so for example, the uh, first person we're going to go to is Bart. Um, and we say that just uh, in case uh, anyone's making a cup of tea, just so that we don't catch them out. So uh, we're going to come to Bart first. And after Bart, we're going to come to Steve. So Bart, you are now unmuted. You're good Hello, to go. Good evening. Good evening. Um, my question, uh, I'm, I'm not an English uh, speaker, so um, I um, have problems with the English contractions. And so my question is, why would I want to read a BRF file on my Braille display? There are, first of all, the problems with the line length that you explained. If I have a 32-cell display and my file is with 40 characters, it's not ideal. But why not use the Braille table, transcription table in the screen reader? If that's a good Braille table, it should give me more or less the same results on my Braille display as I would have had on, on written on, on embossed on paper. So um, why use this uh, formatted document? And um, also my disadvantage of reading BRF is that there is no real support of the synthetic voice. Uh, you explained you use random or uh, a list of characters to represent uh, Braille. But if you let it speak by synthetic voice, you there is no big good support for that. And um, so um, it, it would really be a disadvantage for me to read such a book because, yeah, the, the as I said, you cannot switch, uh, turn off the gray too. And um, my question would also be, why not make the books in Unicode Braille? Because these are, I think, a bit more standard. Sorry, yeah. these are two questions. No, they're, they're absolutely brilliant questions. And I'm glad you asked them, because in all of that spiel, it was one of the things I sort of uh, neglected to mention, wasn't it? Why, why wouldn't you just use the built-in translation? There's absolutely no reason. Actually, if you have built-in translation and it works for you, uh, go ahead and use the built-in translation. Uh, that said there are situations where the built-in translation might not work quite as you expect. Um, so for example, if I'm using a Braille device, um, I mean, the first one that springs to mind is the Brilliant BI-40X. The Brilliant BI-40X is an amazing machine. I, I really like my Brilliant BI-40X. So I'm not trying to, excuse me, say anything negative about it, but, um, from my experience of it, it's not the best. If you're loading a book into it in, say, Microsoft Word or what have you, um, it's not the best at dealing with the bold italics, under underlining signs. So if you're reading a book with lots of italics in it 
and you need those italics for some reason. Um, at present, a human transcribed book would be a better option for you. Um, similarly, the ongoing problems in England of quotation marks versus apostrophes, a human transcriber is likely to have sorted those problems out, um, whereas um, <clears throat> an automated system may not have done. And there are various little anomalies, if you like, where you might find that the translator is not quite doing the job that you want it to do. And actually a BRF file um, would be better. Um, similarly for tables, um, if there's a table, the transcriber will have done a nice job at transcribing that table, hopefully, and it might render slightly better and transcribers notes for um, illustrations and, and other things. Um, specialist codes like maths and music, there are various reasons why a BRF file may be the the better choice, but you are right. Um, it, it doesn't support synthetic speech very well at all uh, because of all the random symbols. Uh, the other advantage is that they're very small and some devices don't have built-in translation at all. So the Orbit Reader, the basic Orbit Reader, you can't use a Word document on the Orbit Reader. It doesn't work. Um, this means that the Orbit Reader loads books amazingly quickly. I have never seen a device load a book as quickly as the Orbit Reader does. And literally, you know, a, a book could be a couple of hundred kilobytes. It's it's tiny, tiny, small, absolutely wonderful. Um, and that kind of leads me on to why you don't use Unicode Braille. Um, this has to do with the size of Unicode characters. But my understanding is if you used Unicode Braille, you would essentially double the size of the BRF file. This may not be a problem on modern machines, but when BRF was established, I mean, apart from the fact that Unicode Braille didn't exist back then, uh, size was very much of the essence. So I hope that's answered the questions. Thanks for that, Bart, uh, from Braille Authority Belgium there. Great questions. Um, we're going to come to Steve next, and uh, that's Steve Pulley. And after Steve, we're going to come to Claire. Um, and I think uh, maybe, Matthew, after we've uh, spoken to Claire, maybe we'll uh, we'll do a bit more of, of the session, maybe a couple of demos, then uh, see if we've got time for, for further questions afterwards. Does, yeah, does that, that sound sounds good? like a good plan. All right. So uh, Steve Pulley next. And after you, Steve, we're going to come to Claire Morgan. Uh, but for now, Steve, you're good to go. Hi there. Thanks for that. Um... Yeah, I've got a couple of questions. One of them is on the uh, the Braille Unicode uh, again. I just wondered how that is um, stored, if you happen to know. Is it um, a number for each dot or, or is it a bit for each dot in, in like a byte? Because the second way of doing that would make things somewhat shorter, but I don't really know. I'm just vaguely curious. But my main question really was about the formatting in the BRF files. Um, are there other characters which are used to help with the formatting, like, for example, carriage returns, line feeds, form feeds for a page, um, and stuff like that. So the reason why I'm asking is I've got some BRF files, which uh, I wouldn't mind putting out to an embosser. But um, the last time I did that, uh, it kept losing the second half of the line. Um, it was meant to be a 40-character line, um, 25 lines per page. Um, but it, it seemed to be losing the the um, sure. lines and that. And I don't know whether that was because the, the embosser was expecting to see new lines characters in whatever format. Quite um, possibly. 
and I, I don't want to get into specifics about what embosser were you using and what translator and what software, because we could yeah, be yeah. here all day trying to trying to debug it. But yeah, there are problems like that. I'll talk a bit more about that later in the session and special characters that you can use for navigation, because you are right. You could navigate, for example, um, by print page number or by by, you know, the, the lines of colons that occur between chapters and things. So there are definitely ways to do it, and I'll I'll come on to those a bit later if you don't mind. I, um, yeah. Um, no, I I don't mind at all. Um, as far as you know, do do embossers tend to use their own particular way of interpreting things like new lines and and things like that, whether it's a, a character turn line feed line feed character. <laughs> embossers have a really <laughs> unique character uh, embossers okay. are amazing machines and the best thing i can say i mean you sound like you know what you're talking about um the best thing you can do is make friends with your embosser and then your embosser <laughs> will make friends with you and it will do exactly what you want it to do but you have to know how to get the best out of your embosser and you are right different embossers do it um, in different ways. I'm very familiar with the index range of Braille embossers and okay. index index will, uh, if it sees a line break, it will take a line break. No problem. If it sees a form feed, it will take one. Um, there were problems where, for example, if you had a 29 line BRF file and your index was set to 29 lines, index would eject the paper because it would go, okay, we've reached the end of the page. And then it would see a form feed and then it would eject again because it didn't take into account the fact that it had already ejected. So there's all sorts of little quirks uh, on embossers. And uh, I mean, part of it also depends on the software and the way the BRF file was created and, and you get long lines and short lines and dots missing and uh, all sorts of things. If you're not careful, the, the trick is to make sure that the embosser and the BRF file match exactly or the embosser exceeds it. So if you're embossing a 38 cell, well, what, what you're doing, 40 by 25. So if you set your embosser to 26 lines, that's normally fine. Um, it will normally cope with that and it will eject when it gets to 25 and it'll go on to the next page. Um, but if you set it to 24 lines, it won't. It will go on to the next page for line 25 and then it'll go on to the next page again. And similarly, um, if you set it to 41 or 42 cells, it's normally fine. If you set it to 40, it's normally fine. But if you set it to 38, it'll do um, really random things like, as I say, go on to the next, well, it's actually not random at all, but it'll go on to the next line for two characters and then drop onto the next line again when it sees the line break. Um, so yeah, get to know your embosser. And if you, uh, I, I love this sort of thing. I could spend all day talking about the relationship between embossers and software and all this sort of thing. I, I would be curious to know what embosser you're using, but um, perhaps <laughs> perhaps by email, because I really could literally talk about this all day and, and never move on um, to the next section, but but drop a line to help at braillists.org. And I'd, I'd love to sort of investigate this further because it's fascinating stuff. Um, on the Unicode blocks, um, I'll be very quick because I don't have the answer in full, but essentially Unicode's based on 8.braille. So there are 128 uh, Unicode characters in a block and each one of those characters represents a combination. So there's a dot one character, a dots one and two character, a dots one and four. So I think it's one byte per or one bit per dot. But um, again, uh, uh, James Bowden may have more information and uh, we'll try and get that to you by email because it's getting quite technical. 
Thanks for that, Steve, and a uh, great answer there, of course, Matthew. Um, we're going to come to Claire next, and then, Matthew, I noticed that we uh, do have George Bell with his hand up with what I assume is, is a, a comment as opposed to a question. So we'll go to Claire, and then uh, after Claire and Matthew, I guess we can, uh, we can decide whether we go to uh, a couple more comments or yeah, whether sure. we go to uh, the next section. But for now, Claire, you are unmuted. Uh, welcome to the session. Oh, hello. Um, it took me 10 minutes to get into the site to listen to you. And so I missed the beginning and I'm not very clear what a BRF file is. Sure. It's a file um, where it's Braille first. So, for example, a, a print file, you have letters and numbers. In a Braille file, a BRF file is a Braille file, and it's basically you can specify that the file had a dot six, and then it had an M, and then it had an A, and then it had a T, and then it had a THE contraction, and then it had a W. So it's a way of representing Braille dots as opposed to print letters and numbers. I'm a bit lost, I'm afraid. Yeah, okay. Um, there's a recording of the session, uh, or there will be a recording of the session, and what I'll do is um, I'll try and remember to email you, but if you go to braillists.org slash media probably early next week, the recording will be posted there and um, perhaps it'll go a bit slower and uh, you'll be able to sort of stop and rewind and things and may get a better idea of what's going on. So uh, definitely check out that recording, but great to have you nevertheless, as always, Claire. Uh, so Matthew, uh, hands or uh, content with just under 20 minutes to go? I've just noticed we've got James and George. Uh, it may be worth taking both of those comments and then and then moving on, because yep. James will have an interesting point on Unicode. Okay, uh, so we'll go to George first, then James. Uh, that's the order they show up on, on my screen. Uh, George, you're now unmuted. Hi, um, a couple of quickies. Um, BRF, uh, maybe we're out in the cloud somewhere, but I always understood it to stand for Braille Ready Format, not File, Braille Ready Format. Well, thanks. That's that's good to know, and I'll update the notes. Yeah. Um, the other thing, I th did I, I'm not sure if I misheard you or not, but I think you said something about BRFs having formatting information. Did you? No. So they so they they don't have formatting information, ah, do they? Good. They don't I have formatting you, information, yeah. um, and any formatting you do want, you'd have to put it in with spaces and new lines and that's um, right. and, yeah. and carriage, uh, you know, Sorry. form feeds. Obviously, I'm going deaf in my old age. And finally, we do get an awful lot of support calls on the lines that you were talking about with embossers, and I have fought and winning that the as we see over here. The dog should wag the tail, not the tail wag the dog. In other words, you set your embosser up to its maximum defaults and allow your software to control the embosser. So it doesn't matter if you want to send, a, in the most recent cases, a 47 line, 47, 48 line cell or, a, uh, you know, cells per line or uh, 30 characters per line. Um, the embosser will be told what to do. And thankfully, that's becoming more and more uh, helpful these days and certainly reduces our support uh, efforts. So I'll hand over to James then, and he can yeah, fill you thanks, in on the rest. George. 
Um, and that's that's kind of unique to Duxbury at this point, although the index drivers and other embossers uh, do have the facility to to do it. So if other Braille translators want to implement it, the spec is out there. Thanks for that, George. Uh, great tips as always. And uh, we're going to come to James next, and then we'll move on to a bit more content, but plenty of time for a few more questions probably after we've finished this next uh, piece of content. But for now, James, you're unmuted. Thank you. So, Steve, you were asking about the Unicode Braille. Um, this is going to be technical by definition. It's Unicode 28XX from 2800 to 28FF, um, and it is a bit per dot. So 2800 is no dots or Braille space. 2801 is Braille dot one. 2802 is Braille dot two. 2804 is Braille dot three. 2808 Braille dot four and so on. So the six dot Braille code will use Unicode's two eight double zero to two eight three F, and then eight dot Braille code will add two eight four zero up to two eight double F. That is very technical, but I hope that answers your question. Well, there you are. Where else could you find out this stuff? Thank you, James, and uh, once again, great question from Steve. Well, thank you. Um, I'll carry on and uh, and go through this next bit of, as fast as I can uh, without going so fast that people can't understand what I'm saying. I'd like to start with the, the, the practicalities. How do you read a BRF file? If you've been given a BRF file, say you've downloaded one from uh, reading services uh, or BARD or Bookshare or any of the others, how do you actually read it? Well, the good news is if you've got an Orbit reader, you don't need to do anything apart from copy the BRF file that you've downloaded to the SD card. And I'm not going to demonstrate that because we've only got 15 minutes left, but essentially you can plug the Orbit reader into your computer and then it shows up uh, like a drive, like a USB stick or something else. Uh, and you can copy the file to the Orbit reader and open the BRF file on the Orbit reader and it will read and it will be in the grade of braille that you want hopefully or at least the grade of braille that you expected and no further action is required that's the case on quite a few uh braille displays actually uh that have these sort of functionalities you should just be able to open it up either in the reader app or in some cases in the editor uh program if you've got a braille display connected to a computer so I used to have the previous generation Brilliant BI40 rather than the current BI40X. And the thing about the previous generation BI40 was that you couldn't copy files to it. Um, you literally had it connected to a screen reader and, and that was all you had. Uh, you could connect it to a smartphone or a tablet, but it couldn't work in a standalone mode. So what happens if I want to read a BRF file in that sort of way? Well, you can do it. Um, there are various ways to do it. You could open the BRF file in Duxbury and uh, there's information about how to do that in the handout. If you don't have a copy of Duxbury, um, you could just open the BRF file in Notepad, which I'm going to do. I'm going to try and find a, here we go. Uh, I've found a BRF file and I'm going to press enter on it and hope that you can hear my speech. 
arrow. UEB update course DRF40CX27L.BRF notepad. Computer braille. And it's open in notepad and I'll maximize the window. And if I uh, down arrow. Lag. Update 6 UM apostrophe 7 UK dollar I and 7. You can hear that um, I have uh, lots of nonsense that the speech is saying. On the braille display, I also have a whole bunch of nonsense. Now, exactly how you fix this will depend on your screen reader. I happen to be using JAWS. I'm not going to do a sort of step-by-step -step for every single screen reader under the sun, but I will quickly demonstrate it in JAWS uh, so that you can see the sort of setting that you might be looking for in another screen reader. Uh, basically, what you want to do is turn the translator off and use computer braille. So if I go into the JAWS setting center uh, with JAWS key and six, which I have done, and there seems to be a bug with JAWS at the moment where it crashes. So we'll just wait patiently until JAWS uh, turns itself back on again. What I'll do once it turns itself back on again is I will go into the, the, the tree view and look for braille and then look for the, the braille table settings and change those settings. Notepad Here we go. It's come Search up. Box. There we go. I'm not going to go to the default file because I only want computer Braille to be on for Notepad. Zero. User closed. One of Braille so closed. I'll go to Braille. Braille open. Six. One. General closed. General open. Two. Translation closed. One of not. Translation open. Three. Language English United Kingdom. One of six. Translation general Braille. Okay. So, language English United Kingdom. That's fine. Output computer Braille. So you'll notice we've got computer braille. If I press the space bar on here. U.K. English grade one. U.K. English grade two. Unified English braille grade one. Unified English braille grade two. Computer braille one of five. So it's on computer braille. Computer braille is actually the one that I want. There's another option in here that I need Input to tell you about. Braille. Show current word in computer braille. Uh, suppress capital signs. Uh, computer braille tables dot dot dot. Two. Braille mode structured. Two of not. Pan enclosed. Active cursor follow. Braille cursor follows. Display text in eight dot braille mode. That's the one I want. Display text in 8.braille mode. The reason why this is important is because a number of BRF files are encoded uh, with all of their letters in capitals. There's no real harm in this, except that if you are using 8.braille, every cell virtually will have a dot seven underneath it, and that is really uncomfortable to read. So if you turn off the 8.braille mode in JAWS or in NVDA, there's an equivalent uh, option. In most screen readers, there's an equivalent option. If you turn off the 8.braille mode and use 6. Or failing that, if you have a choice of US 8.computerbraille or US 6.computerbraille, if you choose US 6.computerbraille, then that will get rid of all of those annoying .7s that appear all of the time. Similarly, on the Orbit Reader, there's a setting called, uh, what's it called? I think it's called Suppress.7s or Limit.7s or something. Um, it's, it's in the handout, the full name. And if you toggle that setting on, then you'll find that uh, the Orbit Reader doesn't show .7s all the same. Yes, Filter.7 is what it's called. I've just looked that up now. Um, it's on by default, so if you've got a, if, if it's working for you, you don't need to change anything. If you're navigating a BRF file, the, the thing to know, as I say, is that there's no markup in these files. So you need to have some idea of what the file looks like and you need to have some idea of what you're looking for. You can't just press a button and say next chapter or previous chapter or what have you. On some machines, you may be able to press, you know, next uh, page or previous page, but really, you need to be able to navigate the BRF file by knowing what's around. So for example, 
um, you could use the page up and page down key, or you could use the previous and next paragraph key, or you could use the find facility. And the find facility is this uh, amazing thing in the world of BRF because it will literally allow you to find anything. So for example, I'm on the top of this number eight. BRF file, which has a number A on it because it's page one. If I do a control F, find, find one, octopus, octopus. and uh, I was looking at octopus energy earlier on, which is why that's come up. I'm going to type three, 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 three. Um, on a braille keyboard, I would type uh, dots two, five, five times. So five middle C's and I'm going to press enter and uh, nothing's happened, but actually Computer something braille. has happened. If I escape, I've got a line. And if I um, move to the next line, it says in one volume. So I'll press uh, the F3 key to move to the next one. Um, it still says in one volume. Oh, that's because the cursor hasn't moved. Okay. Um, there we go. Um, so I could keep doing land, this. Land, land, land. 333 billion 300 land 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 okay 300 number bjad 2014 300 land land 300 land and this is the reason why this is taking such a long time is because there's a whole load of stuff here if i um, move a bit further down and and try it 333 billion land land a number b eight number b4 punk to nmks number b4 punk to nmks okay so this is reading nonsense but on the braille display i can see that i've moved to section two uh punctuation marks uh, bracket seven. If I press F3 again and land, move land, down, number I can see I'm now on number three, capitalization. So searching for things like lines is very helpful. Uh, 333 or, or middle C, middle C, middle C. Searching for things like dot five, middle C, and a number sign if you want to find a particular print page number. There are various techniques like that. There's a whole list of them um, in the handouts, but they all basically rely on you using the find facility of your uh, reader or of, of your screen reader or your application or what have you, and just finding things. And if you get stuck, the best thing you can do is go to the top of the file and then find, because that way you know that you're searching through the whole file. Whereas if you're in the middle of the file and you do a find, you'd have to remember to find forwards and backwards um, to try and find what you're looking for. The final thing I'd like to talk about very briefly, um, is embossing a BRF file. And I, I won't touch on Duxbury because we've only got five minutes, but um, there is a section in the handout to do with it. If you're embossing a BRF file and you're not using Duxbury, you need to know some information about the BRF file. You need to know how many characters per line it's got and how many lines per page it's got. So I have this BRF file open in Notepad and I can find this information out very easily. If I go to the top of the file, top, number eight. it says number A, that's fine. If I press the, that's a page number. So if I press the end key, and now I press the uh, command to read the status line, which in JAWS is insert page down. LN1, call 41, 100% window CRLF UTF8. I don't need to worry about most of that, but it said LN1, call 41. Um, that's actually because I'm on the carriage return. So we can subtract one from that and we get 40 cells to the line. And actually, I could just count now. Number eight, land, update, land, 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 300, 300, land, 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 WK for number 300, land, 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 F slash 333 bill number BJ, land, page break. So I counted 27 lines and then I heard the magic word page break. Number. Page break. So there were 27 lines to the page break. So that means there are 27 lines to the page. 
and indeed I can verify this if I press the status bar key now. LN28, call 100% Windows CR. Line 28. So I'm on the first line of the second page, uh, which means that the first page finished on line 27. So this particular file has 27 lines to the page and 40 characters to the line. And as long as I tell my embosser that that is the case, my embosser will emboss that file accurately. If I don't tell my embosser that that is the case, as I was explaining to uh, Steve earlier on, you may have problems. If you're in Duxbury, uh, there's a checkbox called import BRF file without interpretation. That's a good checkbox to know about. If you don't check that checkbox, you need to know about all the other options um, in Duxbury. And there's information about that in the handout. But um, with only four minutes to go, I shall turn it back over for some more questions. Thank you uh, once again, Matthew, and great tips of us always. Um, give people a little bit of time to raise their hands. We should have uh, time for a few. And of course, as a quick reminder, you can find a copy of this recording when it goes up and a copy of the recordings of all of our previous events, along with handouts and uh, increasingly transcriptions of the narration by visiting our media page at www.braillists.org media. And that's a, a, someone called it a treasure trove of, uh, of resources the other day, which I was quite proud of. Proud of. Um, anyway, so a couple of hands. We're going to come to Lisa first. And after Lisa, we're going to come to Kawal with uh, a question from her. So uh, Lisa, you are good to go. Thank you so much for this information sharing. Um, you had mentioned that if your BRF file is in UEB grade two and you want to read it in grade one, that you'll need a separate BRF file for grade one. And then also you had pointed out sources of BRF files, some of the online libraries like NLS, bookshare.org. And I've noticed that in browsing some of the online libraries, if when you look at the different file types that are available and you can choose to download the BRF file, there's some there's often no information up front as to what what type of BRF file it's in, what grade, what format. And I was just wondering, is there a way to know up front um, what version you're getting? Like if you open it up in the, the notepad or any any tips on that? Um, yeah, so first of all, libraries need to get better at giving us that metadata. Um, and some libraries are better than others. RNIB is pretty good at giving us that metadata, I think. Uh, I know others are not. Um, the best advice I can give you once you've opened the file, if it's not immediately obvious, and sometimes it is, you'll open it and you'll go, yeah, that's definitely UEB or that's definitely SEB, is look for something that's really obvious in SEB that's not in UEB or something really obvious in UEB that's not in SEB. For example, look for um, the contraction to the, if you do a find on a lower F followed by a T-H-E sign, and you press enter, at, that's a six exclamation mark if you're on a computer and you want to be technical. Um, if you find something like that, then that's an SEB book because UEB doesn't have that contraction. Or for example, if you search for dot five and the uh, GH sign, that's a bracket in UEB. If it doesn't find it, it's not foolproof that it's not UEB, but if it does find it, it's pretty much foolproof that it is UEB. So it's just about um, picking some signs that are pretty obviously SEB or UEB signs, and that's the only way I've found of being able to tell. 
Thanks for that, Lisa. Um, and thank you once again for a thorough answer there, Matthew. Sorry to chivvy you along there a little bit, Lisa. Um, we're going to finish off with a question from uh, Kalwal now. And then after that, I'll pass you over to Dave to uh, wrap everything up. Uh, but now you are good to go, Kalwal. Oh, hello. Uh, thank you very much, Matthew, for this. Um, I wanted to ask a couple of questions. First of all, um, I've never uh, done a BRF file in Notepad. And second of all, I want to know if you wanted to write something in Notepad, would you use Computer Braille? And if you wanted to save something, where what what type would you use in the Save As box? Yeah, so... Um you probably would never write a BRF file in Notepad unless uh, you have lots of time on your hands. I actually do write BRF files in Notepad. Um, when I was at Exol, I used to have to write French-English uh, documents, you know, uh, English vocabulary lists or French vocabulary lists. And that's another great use for a BRF file, by the way, because of all the language switching. Um, but I literally used to sit there with the QWERTY keyboard and type, you know, um, uh, uh equal signs and exclamation marks for the accented letters and do it. But that is what you'd have to do. There isn't really a way of doing six key entry in Notepad unless you've got a Braille display, in which case you could use the Braille keyboard. Um, or you could use something like Perky Duck. You don't necessarily have to use uh, Notepad. You could do it in Perky if you wanted to do it um, or, or just in Duxbury. But assuming that you've written out the BRF file in Notepad, uh, when you go to save, you would save as all files um, and then you would just add .brf to the end of the file name, and that would make sure it saves as a BRF. Wow, uh, manual writing of BRFs in Notepad. Uh, so sounds like a bit of a lockdown kind of activity to me. Um, but great questions uh, from everyone. I know I've, I've learned a huge amount in this session. And once again, uh, many thanks to Matthew for hosting. But uh, I think we don't have any more hands now and we're slightly over time. So I'll pass things over to Dave to finish things off. Thanks, Ben. And if you found some of the information in tonight's session a little bit technical, please don't panic. Um, more help is available. You can, of course, uh, contact us, help at brailist.org. You can also join the Brailists Forum uh, from our website at uh, brailists.org. Uh, and a recording, as, as Matthew said, of this session will be made available at brailist.org slash media. That's probably going to come up next week and will also be available as part of Brailcast from wherever you normally receive your podcast. So uh, if some of that went over your head, don't panic. Uh, we will um, try and provide further support where uh, people reach out to us so thank you very much uh matthew for a very uh informative session very uh quite a dense session i, I, I would say uh, we've got another another sort of um i suppose technical but more um you know very different as well is uh, braille on android and that's our topic in two weeks time this time next week we'll be having an open uh, kind of forum uh, and letting people ask any Braille related questions in our Braille bar. So do bring your questions. Maybe you have some follow up questions from tonight that you might like to ask next Tuesday evening from 7.30pm UK. Uh, don't forget the Braille Book Club on Thursday at 6 and our newsletter. Uh, thank you to Ben for your help with the moderation and everyone else for your expertise and fantastic questions. From all of us at the Braillist Foundation have a great week and we'll speak with you very soon. Bye for now.